Good morning and welcome to the to a special meeting of the City Operations and Neighborhood Services Committee. Uh, my name is Sean Ellsburn, Chair of the Committee. To my right is Vice Chair of the Committee, Supervisor Carmen Chu. Uh, we will soon be joined by Member of the Committee, Supervisor Christina Olaghi, and to Supervisor Chu's and my far left is Supervisor Scott Weiner, who is the sponsor of the one item on this agenda. Madam Clerk, Gail Johnson, could you please read item number one? Item one, hearing with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission General Services Agency 311 Customer Service Center, Department of Public Works Planning Department, San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency and Pacific Gas and Electric Company to participate and provide an update on the SFPUC street light plan and review the city's policies and practices relating to the lighting of the public right of way, including street light and maintenance and reliability, the system of responding to and addressing street light outages, ways to improve the maintenance system and best practices for lighting per the better streets plan and other city policies. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Supervisor Weiner, this is your item. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, so uh, today we will uh, be hearing about and discussing uh, the state of the city's streetlights and the future of that system. Um, I called for this hearing several months ago, and when I called for it, something uh, that I had never seen before happened during roll call for introductions after I announced I was calling for the hearing. I believe six of my colleagues spontaneously co-sponsored it. And that doesn't happen uh, very often. And I think the reason that it happened is this is an issue that throughout the city um, is a significant uh, frustration for the uh, residents uh, in San Francisco. Um, perhaps as much or more than any other uh, concern, um, I and I know uh, my colleagues as well hear from our constituents um, about uh, the problems with our streetlight system. Um, about the slowness and lack of responsiveness in uh, maintaining and fixing uh, uh, broken um, or uh, otherwise problematic streetlights. Um, we hear about um, uh, the uh, dark streets and sidewalks, um, whether it's because there aren't enough streetlights or the streetlights are not functioning or there are trees that are blocking out the streetlights because the streetlights are so high up and not really pedestrian grade lighting. Um, and we uh, hear about the uh, lack of safety that this causes in terms of having dark uh, streets. Um, we uh, know that our streetlights were designed for cars um, and they are not, for the most part, pedestrian grade. And so they at times do not light uh, sidewalks, instead focusing on lighting streets uh, for cars. This is also um, a safety and a quality of life issue. Uh, in addition, our uh, streetlights um, aesthetically are not uh, particularly appealing. Um, they are steel poles, and when you walk into a neighborhood that has um, nice pedestrian-grade uh, street lighting, you see the difference immediately, uh, and it really does uh, improve uh, the aesthetic uh, look and the feel um, of a neighborhood. Um, so uh, today we're, um, we've invited um, several different departments as well as uh, PG&E to uh, discuss uh, this issue, to talk about uh, what the uh, current situation is with our streetlights, what the process is for um, responding to and repairing uh, lights that are not operational, um, and uh, what are the plans for improving um, our response to non-operational uh, lights. Um, and then also to talk about the future of streetlights in San Francisco, 
um, and how, uh, how we can move to more pedestrian grade lighting, um, to a better uh, aesthetic look uh, to our streetlights and to streetlights that improve uh, neighborhood uh, safety. Um, so uh, we have uh, today with us uh, representatives from um, the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, um, from PG&E, uh, from 311, uh, which processes uh, many of the uh, complaints about streetlights, as well as the planning department to talk about the Better Streets Plan and other uh, streetscaping issues. Um, so uh, colleagues, if there are no uh, introductory remarks, um, then uh, we'll start with uh, Barbara Hale from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, followed by Nancy Alfaro from 311, and then followed by PG&E. Thank you. Good morning. Barbara Hale, Assistant General Manager for Power at the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Thank you, Supervisors. Um, what I'd like to do today is, is take a little bit of time to present on the issues of um, streetlight ownership, uh, the levels of service that we provide, the capital and funding priorities we have at the SFPUC for streetlights, the separation of responsibilities between the PUC and uh, PG&E, and make some recommendations for improvement. There's, there's certainly room for improvement, and we're very interested in hearing from supervisors and members of the public today on, on how we can provide better quality street light and pedestrian lighting services here in the city. So on that first point, the issue of ownership. Uh, street light uh, ownership here in San Francisco, and I have a slide up. is uh, quite divided, as you can see. We have um, a number of street light owners. If you could adjust the focus so the slide shows, please. Um, varied between ourselves, PG&E, uh, other city departments, um, the U.S. Navy out at Treasure Island, uh, and, and uh, the Presidio Trust, Muni, so quite an assortment of uh, ownership. To show how that breaks out for you uh, within the city's map, let me show you a slide that has the districts listed. And I'll try to orient it so it shows better for, that's great, getting better on the orientation there. Um, so you can see, the ownership here, uh, the darker blue colors show where PUC ownership is strongest. Uh, we have um, a strong presence in the, the north, northeast sector. PG&E, for example, has a strong uh, ownership in the southeast sector and in the Richmond and in the Sunset. Um, our ownership is uh, limited to streetlights and pedestrian lights that are located along the street right-of-way as defined by city code. Uh, this sometimes includes streetlights that provide lighting for pedestrian steps and pedestrian bridges. Uh, Rec and Park and DPW uh, own and maintain their park and plaza lights. We don't have accurate quantity counts for all of the lights that are owned by other city departments, but we do for the lights that the PUC owns. So that describes ownership issues. Now what happens when uh, a resident notices a street light is out? What we're encouraging residents to do is contact 311. 
And as Supervisor Wiener indicated, we'll be hearing from the 311 folks during the course of today. Uh, so streetlight outage or other issues are reported to us through 311. Uh, 311 then relays that, that streetlight issue to the PUC using software. Um, during non-business hours when there is an emergency, we do not wait for the 311 software system. We um, have worked it out with, with 311 so that they know to call the right uh, PUC staff people to address emergency situations immediately. Uh, we review the internal digi digital database that we have of our streetlight system to determine ownership and then um, indicate that to 311. They, if it's not our ownership, they refer the issue to PG&E. So that's how a, a resident typically lets us know. Uh, what we've done then through the 311 database is documented the average days it takes for the PUC to um, address a streetlight outage. Uh, the 311 system provides uh, a duration between when the item is opened by the 311 system as a problem and when the item is closed uh, through the 311 system. You know, last year there were 5,943 streetlight complaints that went through the 311 system. Uh, about 60% of those, I think, yes, about 60% of those were related to PG&E outages. The balance uh, were addressed by the PUC. And you can see here about the time it takes. Average days to close for the PUC is about 25, and the average days for PG&E is about 33. Now that's for all uh, outages, general outages. When it's just a simple street light that's out, the, uh, the data looks better. It takes the PUC about 8.6 days to close an item. And you can see, I'd like to point out how our um, efforts have improved. You know, it's a, on average, it's 8.6. But when you look at our more recent years, more recent quarter here, the third and fourth, we've gotten much better. That's not because the number of calls have gone down. That's because we're getting better at, at meeting the level of service obligations that we've imposed upon ourselves. Uh, we are looking to close simple streetlight outage issues within 48 hours of our having received the request. And you can see we're, we're getting, getting closer to, to meeting that target on a regular routine basis. Just a quick clarification. On the previous slide, you showed the days to close for PG&E as reported through the 311 system. Yes. Just making sure when we say day to close, that means that the light actually has been repaired or the outage has been completed. So not just simply that 311 has routed the complaint to, to PG&E, correct? Correct. That's my understanding. Uh, the the uh, item is closed by the performing entity. So once the performing entity, in our case PUC, has completed the work, then the PUC staff go in and modify the 311 database to, de to indicate that the work has been performed. Okay, thank you. Just because we've seen before where 311 calls something closed when they've referred it to an agency as opposed to the work being completed. Very good. And so then looking to some of the challenges, um, you know, San Francisco's streetscape, and you can see depicted here, um, has a broad variety of lighting infrastructure. Uh, we maintain at the PUC at least 75 discrete light systems. Uh, just in the photos on this slide, there are 12 different styles, each with a unique pole, pole color, and luminaire. None of the parts are interchangeable on these systems. 
In addition to what you see here, the streets have another 60 streetlight variations. Many of the fixtures are no longer fabricated and therefore maintaining these, these uh, uh, pieces of lighting systems is very challenging. Some of the, of the fixtures that the PUC uh, operates and maintains and owns are historic fixtures that are unique to their locations, such as the fixtures you see along Van Ness Avenue out in front of uh, this building, or on Market Street where we have the Path of Gold Lights. And these are street lights design variations that occur throughout San Francisco and are within historic districts. The PUC funds maintenance for all the street lights in San Francisco regardless of who owns them. So although we have a broad variety of ownership between PG&E and the PUC, the PUC is the uh, responsible entity for paying for uh, city-owned streetlight maintenance uh, as well as PG&E-owned lights that are maintained by PG&E, but are paid, that maintenance cost is paid for by us. Our annual payments to PG&E are about $1.6 million for operation and maintenance of the street lights that PG&E owns. And for uh, the lights that we own, the about 25,000 lights that we own, it's about 2.2 million each year in cost to the city. So that brings the total O&M operation and maintenance to th about 3.8 million each year. And Ms. Hale, uh, can, yes. you, can you explain, uh, it's sort of a, um, an, an interesting system that not exactly half and half, but in the ballpark of mm -hmm. half and half or owned by the PUC or by PG&E, uh, yet the PUC is responsible for paying for the maintenance on, on all of them. Um, can you just sort of explain why that is? It basically goes back to the way um, PG&E's recovery of costs is regulated by the California Public Utilities Commission. Uh, the street lights in San Francisco uh, accrue to the benefit of San Franciscans, uh, and the Public Utilities Commission has set street lighting rates that recognize that. Um, we pay for the power, which is unique. Um, most cities use PG&E power and receive operation and maintenance from PG&E, but in our situation, we're paying PG&E for operations and maintenance but we're providing the electricity through our Hetch Hetchy system. Uh, so we have a unique San Francisco-only streetlight tariff that the California PUC sets. And um, uh, given that, uh, do, do you know, is P, in terms of what PG&E actually spends on maintenance, is that covered 100% by what the PUC reimburses? I don't know the answer to that question. Perhaps PG&E does. Okay, or perhaps I'll... they could have it by the time they... Yeah. And, and then I guess the other question is, since the PUC is, um, is paying for the maintenance of these uh, uh, streetlights that, um, that PG&E owns, does the PUC have any ability um, or has it attempted to set maintenance standards um, uh, for PG&E to comply with? We have not attempted to set maintenance standards. It's our understanding that that's the California Public Utility Commission's responsibility as PG&E's regulator. We have absolutely um, communicated, and, and my streetlight staff communicates with PG&E streetlight staff on a regular and routine basis about the uh, needs for improvements on the system uh, and standard operation and maintenance. 
has anyone asked the PUC to set those maintenance standards? Because I, there, you know, there's this discrepancy in terms of the number of days um, to repair broken lights, um, and it's a it's a fairly significant mm -hmm. um, uh, difference uh, yes. in terms of it taking a shorter number of days for PUC to repair its lights than PG&E. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm just wondering if any effort has been made to have the CPUC impose those uh, maintenance standards. We do. Um, every three years, PG&E has a new uh, rate case that is set by the California Public Utilities Commission. We are participants in that general rate case where streetlight issues are um, addressed. We also are participants in a, in a street lighting consortium um, of all California streetlight consumers, if you will. Uh, and in those settings, we make those arguments. Could we do more? Absolutely. Um, and through this process and the awareness that you've raised in setting this hearing, Supervisor, I think we're seeing that as a, a higher priority need for us to engage on that topic in that setting. Yeah, and I would, I would encourage you to do so. And this isn't about, you know, beating up on PG&E. I mean, we're all, we all have a shared uh, desire to... Um, to have the best streetlights possible. And when I see the kind of discrepancy, and I'll certainly be asking PG&E to, to talk about that and see if, if they agree and, mm -hmm. and, and, and sort of their perspective on it, when you see that kind of discrepancy and, uh, and ratepayers are, are paying for that maintenance, um, we certainly want to make sure that the maintenance is happening in the best possible way. And if, I, if, if, if in fact, the PUC is uh, able to fix lights on average in a shorter number of days, then PG&E certainly should be able to match that, um, if not exceed it. Um, and, and so I, I, that's something that uh, I think really needs to be looked into. And if it's the CPUC that has to be involved, then by all means we should involve uh, the CPUC. Thank you. One of the areas where some of the maintenance is most challenging here in, in the city is in the series loops. Uh, these, are, these are the old style um, uh, street light circuits that are, are similar to um, old holiday lights where if one light went out in a string all of the lights would go out the string would be useless um, we have a similar you know street light version of that same technology in the streets the map I've just put up here shows the PG&E series loops uh, indicated throughout the, the area you can see quite a few in district 7 um, some in 8 and 9 two and three, six. Uh, the PG&E are uh, shown in yellow, which I think is showing up all right on the slide here. Hopefully it is for you as well, supervisors. And red, in conversation with PG&E, we understand that they will be converting those that are listed in red uh, in, this, in this, this year to a, a more standard, high, uh, you know, current technology. Um, they are the primary source of streetlight outages because the, the fixtures themselves on these series loops are 50 to 90 years old, and that single fault within the system can, can take out the entire circuit. They're expensive to replace um, because they require the installation not only of uh, improved above-ground uh, elements, but also the, the uh, circuits themselves from the power source to the last light some of these electric cables are lead wire, directly buried without conduit to protect them. And in addition, the, the lamps for the uh, uh, luminaires 
are largely no longer manufactured. So we've really come to the end of the useful lives of these systems, and they, they need to be replaced. Um, it's encouraging to see that PG&E does have plans for converting some of the series loops that they have here in the city. You can also see on this map we've highlighted the city-owned series loops. We, in our 10-year capital plan, have uh, programmed in the replacement of those series loops as well. So there's a, a 14 total series loops that are owned by the PUC and 12 the series loops with um, about 575 streetlights that are, um, that are uh, scheduled for replacement over that 10-year CIP. That includes the, um, the series loops that are part of the Van Ness Bus Rapid Transit Service. There have been a lot of um, concerns and, and uh, resident complaints about the Van Ness uh, system, streetlight system in particular, and that'll be converted along with that overall improvement of um, Van Ness. About 1,100 of the streetlights on Sawyeri's loops are uh, owned by PG&E, and the upgrade will uh, uh, improve approximate over the next five years, as PG&E had, had committed, uh, will cost about $25 million. So I'd like to talk a little bit now about um, you know, how, we, how we work with the streetlights, how we figure out improvements and priorities. Um, as mentioned earlier, the available capital funding is in our 10-year capital plan to replace our, our series loops. Um, we are the funding source for uh, new streetlights and pedestrian light projects uh, that we uh, initiate. A number of streetlight improvement projects are initiated by development by third parties, and in that context, that third party funds that streetlight improvement and then hands that system, that new system of streetlights, over to the city for our ongoing uh, care and operation and maintenance. Uh, pedestrian lighting is, is becoming a more and more important element of our streetlight system. Uh, we recently had our commission adopt clear guidance to us that we are responsible for pedestrian lights in the street right-of-way. Uh, and so we are working to incorporate uh, 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 guidance for developers, third parties, on uh, pedestrian lighting as well as street lighting in our, in our street light guides. The uh, support of pedestrian lighting has become uh, clearer as well in the Better Streets Plan and uh, the PUC's adopted lighting policy is very much in sync with that Better Streets plan that was uh, uh, prepared in cooperation with uh, DPW and endorsed by the board. Oh, Ms. Hale? Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> when, uh, um, currently, when a light has to be replaced now, let's say it completely fails or something crashes into it and knocks it over, um, what is that, and let's, let's say it's a one of the tall, um, uh, not pedestrian-focused streetlights. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You replace that with a, with a pedestrian-grade lighting, or with a replica of, of the inadequate former light? It's a loaded question. Yes, um, it would be the latter. At this point, what we're doing is in, uh, on that single in that scenario, one light on a on a block was impacted, so we replace in kind. 
When we go through to perform work on a whole block is when we're in integrating pedestrian lighting into it, into that uh, system. In some cases, we don't have to do much to the streetlight circuits to allow for that additional lighting load on the circuit. In other circumstances, we have to improve not just the, the pole's ability to hold, hold a pedestrian light, but also uh, improve the capacity of the circuits. And it's that, it's that scenario that, that causes a greater investment and, mm -hmm. and sort of a slower pace, if you will, to that improvement. Right. And I guess I would, I mean, I, I can understand if you have, you know, a, a block that has an enormous number of lights on it and you may not want to just have one that is completely different from the rest, but there are certainly a lot of blocks where there might be just a few lights. And if you're already out there doing what's probably a fairly expensive uh, piece of work, I mean, it might be worth considering that. And again, I'm not an expert on any of mm -hmm. this, and I, I don't pretend to have an expert understanding of the deep infrastructure requirements of replacing an entire block. But it just seems to me that, you know, if it's feasible, we should be taking every opportunity to convert to pedestrian uh, grade light, lighting. Again, if it's a, a prudent use of resources. I hear you, and I'll take I'll take that sentiment back to the back to the table and see if we can incorporate that in, that into our uh, improvement guidelines. Thank you. Uh, utility services, the the group that's responsible for the street lighting we own. Um, uses our capital dollars for the renewal, replacement, and new construction of streetlights. Uh, and in some cases, the street lighting capital fund is used to add lights on streets that are poorly lit. Uh, in, in recent years, the, the capital dollars were supplemented with some addbacks that improve streetlights on Lafayette Street, Divisadero, Stockton Tunnel. So these are some examples of particular projects that we've taken up uh, in response to uh, 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 resident and supervisor concerns. The cost for street lighting capital projects, though, is quite variable. You know, factors such as the amount of trenching and conduit, uh, you know, the street light fixture style, these, these things all influence what, it, what an individual project costs. The largest cost is typically trenching for new conduit and paving replacement, which is why the city tries to coordinate our street lights uh, projects with other capital improvement projects like the Van Ness bus rapid transit improvements that I, I spoke of earlier. The um, admin code is really what we look to in um, uh, defining what a street is and who's responsible for the, the improvements. Um, you know, our, our fiscal 11-12 capital budget for streetlight conversion is $8.9 million. So that gives you a, a sense of of the financial commitment. And so what are the priorities? You know, how do we figure out what we're going to fund and what we're not going to fund? <clears throat> what I have here is a slide that, <clears throat> excuse me, describes the, the priorities. Um, and for us, priority one is crime. You know, street lighting and the street environment uh, is a contributor to, to crime. We recognize that. So priority one is for high crime rate areas that have, where, where poor lighting has been identified by the police department as a contributing factor. Uh, nighttime accidents due to unsafe street conditions, uh, such, such as sharp turn intersections, you know, street curvature or grade is also um, a consideration. And so that's our second level priority. Uh, costs for maintenance of street light systems that are, you know, really high due to age and condition, 
is also a factor. And then on, as you see here, the seven priorities. Um, evaluating the, the 311 process, you know, we're going through the 311 requests, we're performing field visits, we're doing photometric analysis to see uh, whether the lighting conditions, you know, what the real, the data is behind the lighting conditions. Um, we're looking at the cost estimates and we're, we're scoring each of these 311 requests against this seven steps of priority to determine what gets the, the limited capital funding we have for improvements. So that gives you a quick rundown on our, our approach. Let me take just a minute to, um, to talk a little bit more about the, the roles and responsibilities between the PUC and PG&E. So um, as we, we talked earlier, PG&E owns about 43% of the streetlights in San Francisco, um, and the PUC pays for the O&M uh, operations and maintenance of the lights that are owned by PG&E as well as owned by, by the city. Uh, Many of the lights that PG&E owns are on wood poles that support the overhead power distribution wires. Um, others are de decorative, such as the historic lights in the neighborhood around Union Square. Uh, there isn't really a readily transparent way for someone walking down the street to know whether the light that they see is out is a PG&E owned light or a PUC owned light. Uh, and that's where our interaction with 311 and our use of our um, electronic files on our and our asset management system allows us to see quite readily when it's a PUC-owned owned light. I mentioned before that the California Public Utilities Commission sets the rates um, and that they're set through the, the general rate case process. Um, these rates allow PG&E to recover both their operations and maintenance expenses and their, um, their costs for capital investment, where those, the capital investments are recovered over the life of the asset. So we pay them over the life of the asset, the operation and maintenance fees. That includes enough funds for them to set aside to actually perform the kinds of improvements we talked about earlier on their series loops, because we've already sort of prepaid for that. And that comes to about, uh, for our distribution of the power we provide for those lights is something that we also pay PG&E for. I mentioned that it's our power, but PG&E is, is delivering it to, our, to the lights. We pay PG&E about $343,000 a year uh, in distribution charges to um, transmit the power using their uh, power distribution system. And so here's a quick snapshot then on the annual payments to PG&E, where we have the maintenance fees, the distribution fees for a total of almost, almost two million a year. And then finally, just wanna um, talk a little bit about where we see improvement recommendations here. Uh, we, you know, we've been asked over the years whether it makes sense for us to become owners of PG&E's lights so that we'll have more control. I think what it really comes down to for residents, though, is the level of service that they receive. It's not really an ownership issue. It's the level of service. It's the light on when they're walking their dog at night. It's the light on when they're on their way back from the symphony or from movie or coffee. Um, so it's really uh, our recommendation to establish uniform standards for the levels of service, regardless of ownership. 
I mentioned earlier that we have electronic asset management of our street lights. Um, we're able to look up quite readily when it's our light. We know by its absence that it's a PG&E light. We don't actually have uh, electronic access to the assets that PG&E has, has in the street. So it's, it's sort of a, well, if it's not ours, it must be theirs scenario. Um, that the gap issue there is when uh, lights have been put on the street that have not been accepted by the city. So if it's not on our map as ours, and PG&E says it's not theirs, uh, that would mean that that's probably a light that hasn't been accepted by the city. There's not a lot of that out there. Uh, so the absence issue isn't, you know, a hurdle we can't overcome. Um, but it, it would be better to be able to definitively say at the 311 desk, looking at the GIS map, it's PG&E's, as opposed to, hmm, I don't see it on the GIS map, it must be PG&E's. Uh, we'd like to broaden the 311 reporting accountability and, and work with um, Ms. Alfaro and her staff to improve that, that system. It's been a great system. I think it's been uh, a great learning process for both departments to figure out how to improve I think there's still other improvement opportunities, and we'd, we'd like to keep that, that effort going. And then there's the option for um, the city to consider establishing lighting assessment districts. You know, I mentioned before that we have a lot of capital needs, capital improvement needs out there in the streetlights. We have limited funds. One of the ways to address um, resident concerns would be to allow them to um, tax themselves, if you will, to establish a lighting assessment district a pool of funds that will just be spent on lighting improvements in their in their neighborhood. Um, so those are our uh, four recommendations for improvement. Happy to take any additional questions or thoughts. <clears throat> Thank you, Ms. Hill. Just a couple questions. Do you have an estimate for what the deferred maintenance is on uh, the PUC-owned uh, 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 streetlights? I don't. I can I can get back to you with that. Okay. Um, it would be sizable. Yeah. And what, um, if we were to just go in and <clears throat> convert the entire system in San Francisco to pedestrian grade lighting for uh, both PG&E uh, lights and PUC, um, I imagine that would be a very, very large number. Is there any estimate of what that would be? I'm assuming. I, I would agree with you it would be very large. I don't have an estimate. Okay, I'm assuming in the billions, I'm going to guess, or maybe hundreds of millions? Uh, hundreds of millions is what yeah. I would guess. Yeah, okay. Um, and then, does PC have a standard for, um, for w what, how uh, the adequacy of the light that's actually cast mm -hmm. down from the lights? Because there, there are also differing kinds of lights. There are the yellow lights and the white lights, and yeah. some do have better lighting than others. Can you just talk about that a little bit? So the PUC observes the um, lighting standards that are established as national street light standards. It's referred to as RP8. So when we do our photometric analysis to look at the um, amount of light that's hitting the street, our target for the amount of light that's hitting the street is actually a, an industry standard expressed as the RP8 standard. I would agree with you that there is quite a bit of variation in the quality of the light. Uh, you know, some light is, is whiter, some is, is yellower. Um, as we go through our uh, LED streetlight conversion project, um, we will be converting the, um, the lamps on our co all the Cobra Head 
uh, st style fixtures that we own uh, with a, a wider quality light uh, that is dark sky um, conscious, if you will. It's compliant with uh, dark sky concerns. Uh, and so we'll see improvements and more uniformity in the quality of light for neighborhoods that are served by that cobra head style where it's a PUC-owned light over the next two, two and a half years as we complete that conversion uh, of 18,500 lamps. Uh, but it's the national standards that we observe for what the amount of light that should be hitting the street. And it's very focused on meeting street light, not pedestrian light. Um, you know, pedestrian lighting that comes from street lights uh, on most of our streets today is sort of a secondary benefit. The street light system when it was designed was not designed with pedestrian lighting in mind. So to the extent there is lighting from the street light onto the sidewalk, that's a secondary benefit. The real focus is lighting the street. And that's part of what we're trying to improve upon with the Better Streets Plan. Okay, thank you very much, Ms. Hale. Thank Co you. Colleagues, are there any questions for Ms. Hale? One question, uh, yes. the lighting assessment districts, do we have any neighborhoods that have done that? Uh, we do not, to my knowledge, have any that are active right now. We may have some in the past. Okay. Um, and I, I think I may, may have a neighborhood in my district that is intrigued at the idea. Great. With whom should I sit down and talk to about that? Uh, my, myself and Todd Reedstrom, our CFO, have, have spent some time looking into this option, and we'd both be happy to sit down with you. Okay, and the, uh, truthfully, I think their motivation is uh, they'd like to have decorative, historic lights, and that would be something that could be funded through this? Yes. Okay. All right, we'll set something up. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you, colleagues. Any other questions? Just one final one. With regards to the many different variations of lighting, yes. structures, poles, fixtures, is a PUC sort of coming forward with sort of a standard set few that you are going to be using moving forward? Yes, we are. We are putting together a catalog. We've gone through a, a, a broad, thank you for asking and prompting me to talk about something I forgot to talk about. We've had a public outreach effort uh, over the last year or so to um, uh, develop a catalog. Uh, to sort of corral the options out there uh, so that we can have a more reasonably um, maintainable inventory and look on the, on the streets. Uh, we'll be coming to our commission with that, re the recommendations on that streetlight catalog uh, at the end of this summer. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ms. Hill. Okay, next I'd like to invite up uh, Nancy Alfaro from uh, 311 uh, to uh, talk about the process from 311's uh, perspective. And uh, first of all, Ms. Safari, I just want to just, apart from streetlights, just really compliment 311 for having uh, dramatically simplified accessing city services. I remember when, uh, when my uh, predecessor, Bevan Dufty, took office, his business card on the back of it had like 15 different numbers to call for different things. And now our business cards all just have 311. So it's been a, a, a real success from my perspective. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, Nancy Alfaro, Director of the 311 Customer Service uh, Center. Uh, I will talk to you a little bit about the process of uh, a caller reporting a streetlight uh, problem and talk to you a little bit about the background of where we were to where we are today because there's been vast improvements 
since then. Um, and as Ms. Hale has described, it's been very difficult for the public to know whether a street light is a PG&E or a PUC owned light. So when we started, we would ask the customer whether uh, it was a PUC or PG&E light, and if they knew it was a PG&E light, we would provide them with the PG&E number for them to call. So they would have to hang up and call another number to report that street light, and then if it was a PUC light or they didn't know what it was, we would then just automatically send it to PUC through our software system, through our customer relationship management system. Well, there were a lot of problems with that because a lot of times PG&E lights were being sent to PUC and there was a lot of delays between the time that PUC would get it to PG&E or vice versa, PG&E would get calls for PUC-related lights. Um, then, since our goal is on customer service, we wanted to make sure that we would help the customer when calling us. So if, if it was PG&E, we would take the call, the report, and we would have our staff enter it into the PG&E online system so that PG&E could get that report. However, that was very difficult for us to know whether the service request was actually serviced by PG&E because we would have to be faxing. Not only was it duplicative from our part because we would have to enter it into our system and then re-enter it into the online system for PG&E, we would then have to be faxing PG&E to see if the system was uh, done and get a fax back from PG&E to show closure. So it was very cumbersome. It would take longer, uh, especially if something had been routed incorrectly to PG&E or PUC. Um, so a year ago, a little over a year ago in April of last year, we decided uh, to work with PG&E so that they could uh, access our customer relationship management system so that we could then um, customize an intake form working both with PUC and PG&E so that we could then route uh, streetlight requests directly to a PUC queue or to a PG&E queue, allowing visibility on our side to be able to see uh, the request from beginning to end. There are issues still with that because although we do have a GIS layer of uh, streetlights for PUC, we don't, again, like Ms. Hale said, if we don't see it on the PUC side, we then assume it's a PG&E request. Uh, and we would forward it to them. What's nice about having the CRM system on both ends is, is if PG&E sees that it's not theirs, they can route it electronically to PUC and vice versa. So PUC can route it electronically to PG&E. So that has created vast improvements on our side. Uh, we do base the determination a lot of times on whether it's a PUC or PG&E uh, streetlight on the type of pole. So if it's a wooden pole, we're assuming it's PG&E, although that's not always the case. And again, if we had a GIS layer for PG&E lights, that would help our intake because some wooden poles are at the Treasure Island, which really it's a PUC-maintained streetlight. So there are improvements on that end that could happen. Um, some of the improvements that we see that could take place, aside from the GIS layer, is just a better identification of the poles. I mean, you could have maybe reflect, uh, reflective uh, color sign on the pole itself, where 
a person could easily identify whether it's a PG&E or a PUC pole because we do ask them, is this a PUC streetlight? And most of the time, they don't really know. I know that PG&E uh, would like to have the poll number for us to take, and I know PUC has says that would help them too. So having that number very easily readable for the public to see would be helpful, I think, for them to identify the right polls. But um, overall, because we do have good reporting, we have seen improvements on both the PG&E and the PUC side in terms of the response. We do meet with PUC regularly on this, on any open cases, and we have been doing that with PG&E as well. So we have seen a huge improvement in the number of days that they're taking to repair streetlights as well, although there is no standard service, you know, service level agreement that they have with PUC, but we have seen improvements in their area, and we are able to provide them with reports on that information. If there's any questions that you have, I'm happy to answer. Um, so just in terms of the discrepancy in the number of days between PUC and PG&E, is that something that 311 experiences in terms of a discrepancy? In terms of the discrepancy the, of... Ms. Hale's presentation and we'll ask PG&E about this as well for their perspective um, was that the PUC takes a shorter number of days on average to repair a reported uh, broken street light than PG&E. We have seen that difference, but we've also seen vast improvements. Okay. Before, PG&E was taking much longer based on our reports, um, and they have now shortened that number of days pretty significantly in our reports, um, especially in the last quarter. Uh, we do talk to them a lot. I mean, a lot of times I feel that if people call 311 and something isn't repaired, they're feeling that 311 is not being effective. So it's important for our interests as well to make sure that the public is being served and things are being serviced okay. accordingly. And in terms of PG&E's voluntary association with 311, um, it's, uh, I think PG&E deserves a lot of credit for they don't have to connect with 311 if they didn't want to, and so exactly. I think we're all appreciative that they've agreed to do that. Um, do, you, um, do you feel like the communication is good so you know like when a, when a ticket can be closed out because it has been repaired? Is that communication flow pretty consistent? That's why it, it was really important for us to try to uh, eliminate just us entering into their online system because it wasn't allowing us to have the visibility from beginning to end. So it, I was very appreciative that pg e was very cooperative with us to, um, and willing to use the customer relationship system that we have so that they could receive the service requests through our electronic system, they close it out through our electronic system, and if it's not theirs and they actually transfer it to PUC, we're able to know that now it's PUC owned. Uh, and that's been very helpful. And are there, um, with respect to either PUC or PG&E, are there some specific things that 311 that you think would improve the, the process in terms of getting these lights? Again, for us, it's more on the identification side. Oh. Um, that's why we were saying if we did have the GIS layer for PG&E where we could specifically, especially where there are both PUC and PG&E um, areas where there's both types of lighting, that would make it easier for our staff to identify, better identify whether it's a PUC or PG&E because there might be some delay time if we do route inappropriately to PG&E or to PUC, there might be some days gained by routing it to the appropriate agency to begin with. Uh, so those type of things would help us. And again, maybe a better identifying tag or something 
might be useful because I know PG&E has said if we got the poll number, that would be really helpful to them, but it's very difficult sometimes for people to be able to read that poll or to identify the poll. So something more distinguishing, you know, distinctive would help, I think. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, mm -hmm. Colleagues, any questions for Ms. Alfaro? Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Um, and, and next, right before we get to PG&E, I just want to ask um, Adam Barrett from Planning is here just to come and uh, briefly talk about the, the Better Streets plan and how street lighting uh, fits in uh, to that plan. Sure, good afternoon, good morning, Supervisors. Uh, Adam Barrett from the Planning Department, uh, Project Manager for the City's uh, Better Streets plan, which was a multi-agency effort that included the Planning Department, uh, PUC, MTA, DPW and others and created a comprehensive guide to how we design for our streetscape and pedestrian environment. Um, the plan uh, was initiated actually originally by this committee with the Better Streets policy in 2006 and then adopted by the city in, in 2010 and now we're working with our partner agencies towards implementation of the, the vision and the ideas that are contained in the plan. Um, and what it really is, is is a sort of holistic guide to how we design our streets. As, as you know, the, uh, the, the different elements in the streets are managed and administered uh, by a variety of different agencies uh, throughout the city. And what we really tried to provide with the Better Streets Plan was a guide to how all of these different elements should interact so that each agency or responsible entity for a particular uh, element in the streetscape would be cognizant of the needs and function and aesthetics of the other elements that are out there so they sort of work together to a, a greater whole. Um, and uh, the plan includes detailed guidelines for all of the streetscape elements including street and pedestrian lighting. We work very closely with the PUC and their street light group to develop the street light guide, uh, guidelines uh, and, it, and it really posits that streetlights are sort of a fundamental organizing element in the streetscape, uh, both creating identity, as you mentioned, for the daytime and the nighttime visual environment, as, as well as serving the more utilitarian functions of lighting the, the sidewalks and the roadway and providing safety and security. Um, we kept the streetlight guidelines in the Better Streets Plan at a sort of very high level, uh, performance-based guidelines touching on, on uh, concerns such as light levels, uh, light color, as you mentioned, glare, and, and factors like that, um, with the understanding that the PUC was going to be uh, developing a catalog of street, light, um, of street lights for the city and that these guidelines could, and performance uh, criteria could help inform that catalog. And I think uh, Ms. Hale mentioned that, that, that they're doing that and we've been working in partnership with them to help define a set of street lights that would follow from these guidelines and, and work to the, the end of, of providing a, a, uh, a streetscape environment that works with the other street elements out there. And so we're continuing to work with the PUC on, on developing uh, and informing that streetlight catalog and, and uh, in, in terms of implementing the overall recommendations of the Better Streets Plan as well. Uh, thank you. I'm happy to answer any questions. Yeah. How... Um, how optimistic are you that we will actually move in a direction of pedestrian grade uh, lighting? Obviously, it's a huge project and very expensive. And so in terms of plotting a path to getting there in the future, um, working with PG&E, working with the PUC, what do you see that path forward? 
as opposed to, you know, we all talk about it and we all want it to happen, but do you actually see the path? Um, I think uh, the, um, what I would say is that we are, we've been working with them and the first step is on development of this street catalog, um, ensuring that it includes uh, pedestrian lighting types so that you wouldn't have to go outside of the catalog in order to, um, in order to approve a street light in the city. And, and my understanding at this point is that it does. Um, and then I think, um, as Hale mentioned, ideas for funding of that. And I think that that's really where the, um, where, where it would come in to be able to fund pedestrian lighting. Now, in terms of, there are situations where, um, I mentioned before the whole, when one light falls down and it's replaced with a non-pedestrian grade, um, light, but where an entire block is being, let's say there's a major streetscaping project that's being done or a major development, um, that's just transforming everything physically in the area, um, uh, is, are we making sure that that those in those situations it will always go to pedestrian grade lighting um, when that work is being done? Um, that's an interesting question. I think that there are efforts to do that in particular design instances. As if you go through a streetscape design, for example, um, the Valencia Street design, where there were um, lighting, or or the Leland Avenue streetscape design. Um, where there were lighting upgrades as part of that design to make sure that the lights both light the roadway and the sidewalk. And it doesn't necessarily need to mean a separate set of poles, but uh, a lighting scheme that is focused for both. So I think we have seen examples of that. Um, I, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer whether systematically that will happen. There are a lot of different, um, a lot of different initiatives by different entities in the city to make street improvements. And so if there are thresholds that were triggered this or something like that, we don't have those right now. Yeah, well, I mean, planning is often uh, maybe always involved in those kinds of things, including the conditional use process and SUD processes when we do um, uh, major developments. And, you know, we, all, we often impose obligations on developers that they have to do X, Y, and Z streetscape or whatever improvements in the area. And I'm just wondering if we're being consistent in saying that one of the things that they have to do is address the um, install pedestrian grade street lights. Because even though it's a, it's a huge expense for the whole city, if you're talking about one discrete area, um, it's, it's not necessarily um, right. the biggest expense in the world. And I'm just wondering if that, that, if that is on the, the checklist for planning when you're, when you're evaluating these things. Yes, I would say it is. I think there's two scales. There's sort of the, the major development areas uh, where you would typically have a, a, a comprehensive streetscape plan that would include lighting and landscaping and all the elements of the street, uh, in which case we would be very consciously looking at what the street lighting palette is and working with our partner agencies on that. And then uh, also through the adoption of the Better Streets Plan, we adopted language into the planning code that will require sort of mid-size and greater developments to submit streetscape plans. Uh, which previously they were not required to do. And then we will look at whether, uh, you know, what are the appropriate elements, streetscape elements that they have to provide, whether it's corner uh, bulb outs or uh, additional landscaping or paving materials or lighting or, or whatnot. And so we will start looking at those uh, with a greater consistency than we have. And um, uh, with the with the eye that we don't sort of, we don't we aren't looking for sort of the ad hoc having a patchwork along a block we want to make sure that we have sort of a consistent streetscape environment in a particular block or area
And I should know the answer to this, but I don't. In, the, in the, some of the major plan areas or projects that we've approved recently, for example, Park Merced, Treasure Island, Hunters Point, Mission Bay, um, as, as some of these sort of new neighborhoods or expanded neighborhoods, um, are, are they all pedestrian grade uh, lighting? I can't speak for certain about that. I, I do believe they have that in their plans, but I can okay. double check back on it, that. It seems to me that any time we have, you know, any kind of a major project like that, or even a project that's a block or the bulk of a block, um, I, I think it would be a, a huge mistake to miss that opportunity in terms of converting um, the, the lighting to uh, pedestrian grade. That does seem like a, a planning function to me in terms of you know, because planning takes the broad vision of neighborhoods for the city. I'll take that back. Yeah. Okay, thank Thanks. you. Colleagues, any questions? Okay. Hi. Thanks, Mr. Merritt. Okay, um, so next I'd like to invite PG&E up. I want to thank PG&E for, um, for attending uh, the hearing, and um, we look forward to, to hearing from you. Mr. Mr. Smith. Good morning, Supervisors. Uh, Ontario Smith, pg &E Government Relations. I want to make a few introductory comments before introducing Mike Swanson, our Director of Restoration and Control, who present today. Um, like all stakeholders in San Francisco, we are, pg &E is aware that well-functioning streetlights are a vital portion of um, the streetscape. And I think that what you're going to hear today reflects our commitment to ensuring that um, the vitality of merchant corridors and public safety is maintained uh, through our maintenance of those assets. Mike's presentation is going to focus on three uh, areas, one being current PG&E practices and services, the second being the capital improvement program to replace um, more than 1,000 lights and spending $25 million, and the last being PG&E's future plans to install LEDs uh, in, in additional areas, as well as our general rate case funding. With that, thank you for having us here again, and Mike will take over. Thank you. Thank you. So as Ontario stated, I'm uh, Mike Swanson. I'm the Restoration and Control Director. I have the, the group that does the repairs of any streetlights that have failed uh, as far as the uh, burnouts are concerned. Uh, so I'd like to give you a status update on where we're at currently with streetlight burnouts, uh, as well as our near-term strategies, as well as long-term as well. Uh, as of today, this morning, about three hours ago, we only have 98 streetlights currently out of the 19,000, as Ms. Hale stated, that we have. Uh, of those, only two lights have been out greater than 14 days. So we've made significant improvement the last three months in, our, in the amount of time it's taking us to make these repairs. I'm sorry, when you, when you say out, do you mean, because there, there are the two, two types of situations we see, one where they're just out and one where they're going on, they're all off for a little while, on, off, on. What do you, when you say out, do you mean totally it, out? It's actually both. Both, okay. Yeah, Thank th you. These are the number of tickets that we have in our queue to be repaired either from a burnout or a, a on-off situation. Thank you. So uh, it was stated earlier about the 33 days to uh, make repairs. I think there, we did have significant opportunity there to improve, but I'm not necessarily sure that that accurately reflected the time it took us to make the repairs. I think there was some reporting back to 311 that may have, uh, may have caused that time difference, as well as our own internal reporting, uh, how we report uh, the maintenance man actually making the repair to getting into our database of showing repaired. 
So for simple outages, uh, the simple streetlight outages, we, we are currently looking at an internal metric of seven days to make those repairs. So it, if a streetlight goes out, whether it's an off-on or a complete burnout, we're looking at a seven-day repair time to, to get that completed. And you, you heard earlier about the issues of identifying the streetlight and who it belongs to. We have the same challenges. We need to go through and verify that we're not maintaining another entity's streetlight as well. So those are challenges that we face. Uh, we're committed to, the, uh, in, to, to keeping the streetlights on in the city of San Francisco as well as the rest of the state where we own streetlights. Uh, we're looking at capital improvement projects uh, here in San Francisco of 23 streetlight circuits and repairing and updating more than 1,100 streetlights. Uh, it was referred to as uh, series streetlights earlier. This is where we're going to be making $25 million investment over the next five years. Uh, this is to modernize that streetlight system, that's the series uh, type streetlight system. Uh, it's the, uh, a cornerstone of this initiative is to replace the streetlights served by the, we call them uh, regulated output loops, but it's series loops. Um, and it's basically upgrading the system to a, just a standard house voltage 12240 streetlight system. So customers should experience fewer burnouts, fewer problems with the, with the uh, newer upgraded system as well. And they all, will also experience improved lighting. In terms of the, the type of lighting, um, is that being coordinated with the PUC so that the lights are all uh, hopefully going to be the same kind of lighting? It, we are actually hoping to go to an LED system. I'm not sure what the CPUC, I'm sure you're looking at the same thing as well. The PUC, I'm sorry. Uh, but we're looking to go to a LED or at least a, uh, a uh, high-pressure sodium light. Okay. I would hope that the two agencies would that you coordinate on that so that it doesn't, if there's one that's a little bit better or different, it doesn't depend on what block you live on, what kind of, kind of lighting you got. As well as light to light is a challenge as well. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we will partner. So for this year, 2012, we're looking at replacing about 387 lights. This is about one-third of our series streetlight system. Uh, we're looking to, to begin work on this sometime in the third quarter. It's currently under the design stage. And when, when would you anticipate having? It's about a thousand that you have that are serious. Eleven hundred in the next five years. Okay, so within five years, it should be all converted. It, we should have our series streetlights converted. That's correct. Okay. Thank you. So again, more detail on the, on this year's plan. We're looking at submitting a, a little over seven million dollars this year to uh, to upgrade those three hundred and eighty-seven lights, and the remaining will be over the next three to five years. Uh, as far as our longer-term strategy, we're looking at our uh, 2014 general rate case and uh, looking at uh, our ability to replace lights with LEDs. So that is our longer-term strategy as far as... Start with them to replace them within eight days? Well, actually, that's, uh, we're presenting that in our 2014 general rate case to the California Public Utilities. I'm sorry, what was the number I didn't hear? Uh, let's see, do I have that here? I don't, don't have that number in front of me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, do you have that? The, the general rate case file will be to replace all of the, uh, the streetlights that are non-historic. It's going to be those, okay. those Cobra-head-style streetlights. Okay. Thank you. And with that, are there any questions? Yeah, just a, a, 
a, a few. Um, so in terms of the level of deferred maintenance on the PG&E lights, do you know what that, I've heard the number 40 million, but I'm curious to know if, if that's accurate or. Yeah, I don't have that information, Ontario, do you have that? That's something we can definitely get back to you on. Okay, I'd appreciate it. I assume it, we can agree it's a significant number, there's a fair amount of deferred maintenance. Uh, I'm sure it's a significant number. And um, apart from replacing the series loops, what are PG&E's plans to address that deferred maintenance? So we've actually uh, gone through a little bit of a change, uh, hopefully for the better here. I think we're starting to see some of the benefits of that, but we have changed our streetlight maintenance. Uh, the folks who go out and make the actual repairs to the streetlight, uh, we've moved it to my organization, which is basically uh, is the first responders for electrical emergencies. We moved it to them. Uh, we are actively going out and uh, especially our folks that work at night looking for streetlights that are out in, in the known areas where we have, uh, we, we have known ownership of the lights and go ahead and making repairs then. Uh, we are uh, looking for longer term uh, opportunities to treat a streetlight outage much like we do any electric outage. So those are, that's one of the things that will be coming hopefully in August. And um, what are, um, you, know, you talked about the PG&E has reduced the, the average number of days to respond and repair a reported uh, broken light. Um, do you have a, a, is there a particular goal in terms of the average number of days? And I'm sorry if I missed that, but. Yeah, no, it's, it's seven days seven. for the simple repair. Some of the other longer term repairs are going to take, are obviously just going to take longer just due to the nature of the work. If it's an underground fault, if it's, uh, you know, one of these uh, series street lights that are out, those typically take longer. And what, when do you anticipate having the average for the simple repairs down to seven days? Uh, we are rapidly approaching. We only have two greater than 14 days today. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so in terms of, PG&E's records relating to the streetlights, it's uh, they're paper records now, right? That's correct. Um, do you have plans to convert that to an electronic database? Yes, we will be going to a GIS system next uh, five to seven years. Uh, obviously, we're bringing in some of the higher priority issues first, uh, but we are investing heavily in a GIS system. And so it'll take five to seven years to get there 100%? That's correct. And so will it be a gradual process? So in other words, in, within a year, will there be a database that has at least some? Or is it an all or nothing thing? Uh, I, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Okay. It's something we'll have to get back to you on. Okay, I'd appreciate that, because that seems like it's a, um, in terms of a 311 system and uh, just in general, knowing who owns what, that's very helpful. So I'm glad to hear it's happening. I hope it can happen maybe even sooner um, than that. Uh, I think it would make us all <laughs> happier if we could identify who's, who owns which light. Okay. Um, and before uh, Supervisor Loggi has some questions, I, I just want to, um, members of the public who wish to comment, if you want to fill out cards, uh, maybe you can do that before uh, this part of the hearing ends. So Supervisor Loggi. Uh, just uh, briefly, is there a percentage of, of these lights that are powered through solar energy or some alternative uh, types of, no? Not at this time on our okay. system. I'm just wondering in terms so, of cost and efficiency if that's, uh, you know, something in the works. So all the lights in San Francisco are powered by our power source, not by PG&E's. Okay. And so it's a 100% renewable power source. Okay. It's our Hetch Hetchy power, hydro, okay. mm -hmm. and our solar that we own. We have Great. seven megawatts installed here in the city. 
Thank you. You're welcome. I have uh, just two more questions, and then we can get to public comment. Um, so in terms of you heard we've been talking about the Better Streets plan and the move towards a pedestrian grade uh, lighting. Um, what is, uh, does, has pg and &E been thinking about that as well? I mean, obviously it takes coordination among PUC, pg and &E, planning department um, to make sure we're all moving in one direction. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think we may have some uh, challenges there because uh, you know, I might have to ask uh, Ontario here, but uh, uh, our regulations are to provide street lighting power for the street, not necessarily pedestrian. I think it's something we definitely need to start looking at, though, and see how we can help the community here. Is that a, you're saying that's a CPUC thing? Yeah, so one of the one of the struggles is it's a standardized process for all the cities within PG&E service territory. So we're looking at standardized tariffs and, and design standards that really do lean more towards road lighting than, than they do sidewalk lighting. One of the things we've done locally is to identify better streets plan and try to work with the PUC staff to identify lights that, that better fit San Francisco. From an organizational standpoint, it'll be difficult to adopt the better streets plan as being our, our protocol because we do have different cities that have different protocols for lighting. Okay, and, and so are you, is there, what would be the impediment to having a different standard for PG&E's San Francisco operation than elsewhere? I think it's a, it's a matter of efficiency. You know, we're serving 180 or so cities. Trying to identify standards that meet, meet each city's needs are, it's something we, we strive to do, but I think given our, our planning workforce and the amount of stock we have to keep in, amount of street light material we have to keep in stock, it's, we're trying to balance cost operational flexibility and I think trying to meet city needs. One of the things we have done locally is to try to identify which lights are being used by the city um, and, and get those to see if they fit with our need. Uh, okay, because, I mean, pg e does have approximately half the lights in the city and it is a very, I think, an unequivocal uh, goal of San Francisco to have pedestrian grade lighting. So I understand pg es own operational needs, but in, in terms of serving the needs uh, of San Francisco, uh, I think it's really critical that PG&E, uh, like the PUC, start moving towards pedestrian grade lighting. And I understand it's not an immediate thing, it's a major investment, but what I would hate to see is having the PUC at least acknowledge that we should be moving in that direction and, and do what it can to get us there over the long run, and then to have PG&E perhaps start, keep doing the, the mistake of the past in terms of lighting the street instead of the, um, uh, the sidewalk. And so I, I just, um, I think it's really important that PG&E embrace the goal of pedestrian grade lighting in San Francisco. I mean, it's, I can understand if we were, you know, if we were a, a tiny town where maybe you know you have you can't have every single town in California, but we're one of the largest cities in California, and one of P, maybe PG, either your largest market or one of your one of your largest markets with a lot of uh, lighting needs, and so I really do think it's important for PG&E to embrace that. Yeah, I think we absolutely appreciate that. Um, we are locally, like I said, striving to try to meet the city's goals. Um, one thing I should clarify is that the. The CPUC, our regulatory body, requires us to treat all, all cities equally. Um, oh, sure. it's, it's, it's part of PU code. And so to the extent that we're offering um, a customized service to one city, we'd be obligated to offer that, that same customized service to another city. And so I think our goal is to informally work with the SFPUC to identify lighting styles 
um, changes we can make to our fixtures to, to, to meet the better streets plan, but I'm not sure that a formal um, approach will come immediately. Uh, it's something that we can work on to, to, to institutionalize. So, so you're saying that, that the CPUC or the public California Public Utilities Code would prohibit PG&E from having uh, st uh, streetlight infrastructure that fits San Francisco's needs, that it has to be one size fits all for the entire, uh, your entire area? No, what I'm saying is that the PU code is, I think section 453B requires to treat all cities equally. And so the offering of a service or a tariff or a program to one city that isn't offered to another city might violate that code. That's, that's, it's, it's really, yeah, I'm, not, to try to. I'm not asking for San Francisco, San Francisco to get special treatment, but this is, you know, a, a city where a lot of people don't own cars, where we have a lot of street life, a lot of people walking on the sidewalks at all hours, day and night. Um, it's different than some like suburban areas where I grew up where we didn't have sidewalks uh, in most of my town. You know, it's, it's different needs. And so it's not about special treatment. It's about acknowledging the lighting needs of a particular location. So if there's any work that has to be done with the CPUC, I'm sure we can work together uh, to do that, to get the CPUC to grant PG&E whatever permission uh, it needs. Thank you. Uh, is that something that PG&E would work with the city on? Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Uh, Supervisor Ellsburn, any questions? Okay, thank you very much. Um, we'll now uh, open uh, the floor to public comment. I have three public comment cards. Uh, first, uh, Blair Moser, uh, then um, uh, Nash Herje, sorry for mispronouncing that, and uh, Andy Siegel. I want to thank Supervisor Wiener for calling this hearing, and uh, I appreciate uh, Ms. Hale and Alfaro and uh, Ontario and Mr. Swanson for your presentations. Um, I was frankly surprised to hear that in uh, the fourth quarter of last year, the PUC's um, estimate of closing repairs was 2.6 days, and Mr. Swanson's statement that PG&E is down to just seven days for making repair. Um, Supervisor Weiner and, and all of us in attendance, I think, are aware that there was a terrible crime committed on Fair Oaks Street. Um, I'm with Fair Oaks Community Coalition. Uh, last. November 28th, I phoned 311, which is a wonderful service, and I reported a streetlight out. 311 said that they sent a crew to uh, check out to see who owned it, PUC or PG&E, and when I called the next day, I was told it was a PG&E uh, pole and the, it would be repaired as soon as possible. Unfortunately, 10 days later, the repair had still not been made, and a vicious sexual assault was perpetrated by uh, a man who grabbed the woman across 24th Street under bright lights, street lights, and then dragged her catty corner across the intersection to Fair Oaks to the darkness under that burnt out light to um, attack her. When I called the next day, PG&E, to report what had happened, uh, I was told that there was no report of such a claim of an outage. I gave them the number that the PUC had given me, and I was told it was incorrect. Uh, I'll cut my remark there, but I, I think uh, attention must be paid to shortening the time for those repairs. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Moser. Next speaker.
morning. This is Nash Hirji. Close, but uh, almost. Um, I'm a resident uh, at 17th and Shotwell in the Mission District. I've lived in San Francisco three and a half years, and I've lived at that location about three years. And in, in that entire time, I have been working to try and get street lighting approved on 17th Street to replace the series loop lighting with something more adequate, be it a brighter bulb, be it, be it something else to improve the safety of the public, of bikers, that is a designated biking lane, and the safety of commuters as well. The number of lights and the intensity of the lights is completely inadequate on 17th Street. The light street lighting in that area of the mission from South Van Ness to Harrison, the street lights are the primary source of illumination for the street and it is completely, completely inadequate. So with much effort, after about a year and a half of effort, if I can put something on the uh, screen here, um, the, the PUC did order PG&E, which does own the lights, to upgrade the street lighting. And you can see that, well, maybe you can't see, um, that the intensity of the lighting basically needed to be doubled to improve the safety. And I'm sorry to advise that since that order on September 1st, 2010, nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. This is a high crime area, this is a safety issue, and the residents of the mission deserve safe streetlights. I have communicated back and forth with Ontario, with Sue Black, with Raul Masuela, and I was told that when PG&E decided to upgrade the series loop lighting, which this is, the street was not selected. I have to ask the question why, and I have to ask the question, who do we have to work with to have safe streets on 17th Street in the mission, because this is completely inadequate. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mr. Siegel, and, uh, Mr. after public comment, you can come back up if you'd like. Mr. Siegel. Hi, my name is Andy Siegel, and I'm with the Fair Oaks Community Coalition. And um, patching on to what Blair said earlier about the, uh, the attack that happened in December, um, just this last weekend, we had another situation where um, an individual was accosted again with, um, under a poorly lit situation uh, two doors from, from my front door. And so I, to the extent that there's anything that we as, as um, citizens of San Francisco can do to help push forward this pedestrian lighting program, um, that's, that's what we want to put our efforts on. Um, you know, on our, on our street, like every street, I suppose, it's a conflict of trees and lights, and pedestrian lighting is the way to, to, to deal with that. So we'd like to express strong support for what you're doing, Supervisor Wiener, and, uh, and however we can help. Thank you. Uh, any other public comment? Okay, seeing that, Mr. Chairman, we close public comment. Okay, public comment is closed. Uh, Mr. Smith, I think you wanted to uh, say something. Thank you again. I, I wanted to try to uh, clarify a bit on the Fair Oaks outage. Um, to our knowledge, we didn't receive a ticket from 311. We don't know what where the process difficulty was. Uh, if I recall correctly, I actually received information from you um, uh, the day, I think, following the incident. And when I had that information, we immediately dispatched uh, a person to repair that light. Um, we, our knowledge, we weren't aware that there was a light out. We weren't, we, we hadn't patrolled that area. We hadn't received a ticket. Um, so I do want to just try to clarify that from our side. Uh, to Mr. Hergy's point, we, um, I, I actually work with him personally, and I do that quite often with residents across the city to try to identify their issues and suitable, suitable, um, 
suitable solutions. One of the issues was an issue of, of luminescence or the amount of, of brightness, and we determined that it required an update or an upgrade to the, to the circuitry. Um, and so there was a request that actually went, if I recall correctly, to MTA um, that then came back to us. And our understanding was that it would be the, the cost to repair the circuit would be initially borne by the city uh, unless we were to repair that circuit as part of this RO replacement plan. Um, in identifying the RO circuits to be replaced initially, we identified the ones with the most frequent burnouts. Uh, we tried to find uh, a, a metric that was, that was unbiased. Um, we, I, I fully recognize that we want to identify and target areas that have high crime, uh, and that's a priority as well. But we, we don't have tremendous information about crimes happening in various districts, so we used the metric that was most, um, that was most uh, I believe it to be impartial, identifying the number of burnouts, the frequency of burnouts in locations, and operating that way. Thank you. Okay, I want to thank everyone for coming out today. I think, you know, uh, you know, this is not, uh, you know, even though there's certainly, you know, disagreements and different perspectives on things, in the end, you know, we have sort of a, a grouping here of agencies and PG&E, and we're, we're all responsible as a group for providing adequate lighting uh, to the city. And um, I, you know, I know that, uh, that both PUC and PG&E are, are really working to improve our system, and I just want to make sure we keep moving uh, in that direction, and that in the short run, you know, we improve uh, the response time uh, consistently uh, to reports of burned out lights that we're um, replacing some of the real problem uh, lights and, and getting that, that, that's very sort of short term, and, and then I guess also getting the PG&E lights geocoded to improve the efficiency of the repairs. Um, but I really want to just just stress the importance of moving in the long run towards pedestrian grade lighting. And I know it's a long process and I know it's expensive. It's not something that can happen overnight. It's just, it's too much infrastructure. But in the long run, it can happen. And, and I think it's, uh, it is frustrating uh, when you see, you know, lights being replaced completely with a similar uh, inappropriate um, non-pedestrian grade light. And so I think that's why I really, I, you know, in my conversation with Mr. Barrett um, stressed this, that we need to be constantly focused as our as the system is being upgraded and replaced with moving towards pedestrian grade lights because otherwise we'll never get there because it's not something that you can just write a check and do it overnight. It has to be gradual and over time, um, even if that means that at some point you have a mix of pedestrian grade and non-pedestrian grade. Um, so thank you, everyone, for coming out today. This is just the beginning of the conversation. Uh, Mr. Chairman, can we continue this to the call of the chair? Without objection, Madam Clerk, that will be the order. We will continue this item to the call of the chair. Thank you, Supervisor Wiener, and thank you, everybody. And also, thank you for your patience. I know this item was originally scheduled last week, and we had to reschedule it. Thank you for accommodating that. Madam Clerk, is there any other items in front of the committee today? No, Mr. Chairman. With that, committee is adjourned. Thank you.